if you have your Bibles this evening, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. And uh, where we're studying that on, on uh, Sunday nights, uh, the, the, the uh, series title that I've chosen is um, Persistently Pleasing God, uh, to continually seek to please God and, uh, in our individual lives, in our church life. Uh, Thessalonica, uh, the, the church at Thessalonica was a church that was pleasing to God. It's one of the more positive letters uh, in the New Testament. It was a church that Paul didn't have a whole lot of um, uh, criticism for, a whole lot of um, a rebuke for. Uh, it was a church that he was only there a short period of time, probably somewhere between three weeks to three months. Um, did not have a great reception there. There's people that got saved and stuff. They ended up having to leave town just after a short time. And yet, having stayed there only a short time, the church really grew. The church took off. There was a great response to the gospel there. And they continued. After Paul left, they continued to respond to the Holy Spirit as he led them uh, in ways that were pleasing to the Lord. So, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. We just did verse 1 last week. We saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy uh, wrote to the Thessalonian church, easy for you to say. And, <laughs> and uh, kind of looked at that. So, tonight we're going to dig in a little bit more, verses 2 to 3. Look, if you will. The Bible says, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Where there are people, hopefully, uh, that you thank God for uh, because they've been an inspiration and an encouragement to you. I was reading uh, just this last week, there's a lady in Australia her name is Urkana Murray Bennett. Uh, she ran, just set a new world record for running uh, the most marathons in a row. She ran 150 marathons in 150 days. 32-year-old 32, 32 lady, uh, 150 marathon in 150 days, started at the north point of Australia, ran pretty much the length of the country, ended up down in the southern part of the country, and uh, of course has a fundraiser as well. She beat the previous record that, boy, she could have stopped earlier. The previous record was 106 by a British lady named Kate Jaden. Kate Jaden ran 106 marathons. I think if I was going to break the record, I'd done 107. How about, <laughs> uh, of course, I wasn't going to break the record, no doubt of that. But anyway, the lady said, Murray Bartlett said uh, that she endured scorching heat and storms as she crossed dirt roads, rivers, and beaches. She said, it's very exhausting, I'll give you that. And I think she gets no argument from any, from any of us there. But she said, I feel very blessed to have been able to get to the finish line. Interestingly, Murray Bartlett did it to raise money uh, for, the, uh, for animals that are native to Australia. Some of those animals are going extinct, and she wanted to raise awareness that Australia has a beautiful uh, countryside, beautiful animals, and so she donated her money. She raised over 82,000 money uh, to the conservation of the animals in Australia. Uh, the British lady, uh, Kate Jaden, she raised money for refugees. And uh, she raised over $52,000 uh, for food banks and for humanitarian aid and mental health aid for people displaced from their country. And so I'm sure that these ladies are an inspiration to people. I'm sure people that are interested in their uh, foundations and their charities are very inspired by them. And the reason I tell you that tonight is this. We're each running a race. And no, you don't have to run a marathon. But running a race is the way that Paul talks about living our lives. We're all living a life. And while they were raised money for various charities, hopefully we're living our life to please God. 
And the, uh, Paul here in 1 Thessalonians, what he is, is he's remembering the Thessalonians and he's grateful for the life that they were living, for the race they were running, and he encourages them and he's been encouraged by them. And that's kind of the idea I want to talk about tonight. As I preach tonight, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind people that you thank God for because they've had an impact on your life. They've inspired you, they've helped you to grow, maybe they led you to Christ, but some way, somehow, they really poured into your life. And so we're thanking God tonight for people who are pleasing to God and who have inspired and encouraged us uh, to live the same kind of way. I am always inspired by people who live a life that are pleasing to God, especially, especially people who please God in difficult circumstances, people who please God when uh, things aren't going their way, and people who please God in ways that I know it's a stretch for them. It may not be a stretch for somebody else, but it's a stretch for them. People who are willing to get outside of their comfort zones. People who are willing to, to serve faithfully over a long period of time to please God always encourages me. And of course, the biggest motivation for pleasing God it's the cross and our salvation, right? That's the biggest motivation. But one of the reasons we gather together is to encourage each other. One of the things that I got out of our Sunday school lesson this morning was when the angels were urging Lot to get out of the city. And, uh, and I thought about that. What are some ways we can urge each other to get out of some bad places, spiritually, mentally, socially, places that are detrimental to our faith? And so that's we have people, God puts people in our life to urge us on, to encourage us, and we encourage them and they encourage us. And so I want to take a look at it tonight. These guys, when Paul thanks God for somebody, they're doing pretty well. <laughs> when Paul says, I thank God for these things in your life, they're pretty inspirational people. And not all New Testament churches were the same. Some of them got a lot of rebukes from Paul. And some of them, Paul, like Thessalonians and Philippians, Paul was really grateful. We're going to dig into why tonight. In fact, uh, at least three times, if not more, in the book of Thessalonians, Paul thanks God for them. And so there's a real idea of thanking God for this church and the way, here's the thing, and the way she responded to his ministry and the way she responded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God is doing, that's why he's thanking God. He's thanking God because God did something in their life. And when they trusted in Christ as their Savior, God brought about in them a faith, a hope, and a love. And that's the triad we're going to talk about tonight. You see these together in Scripture a lot, don't you? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, now by the faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Was love, absolutely. Galatians chapter 5 binds them together as well, where Paul writes, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith. That's the hope, okay? We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Now, he's not saying we hope God will make us righteous. He's saying to see the full fruition of that when we get into heaven, okay? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He's talking about outward religious rituals. Outward religious things don't have any value into our heart. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So you got faith, hope, and love, all three in the middle of this. And it's because God transformed their lives that Paul thanks God for them. And so tonight we want to dig into it and look at some people, think about some people that have encouraged you and pray that God will use you to be an encouragement to somebody else. Let me talk about three things. I'm just going to pull it right out 
the text, okay? I'm not going to try to be fancy tonight. Um, the three points are just right there in the verse. It's so no use in trying to elaborate on that. So let's be encouraged tonight as we thank people for God who exhibit, number one, works of faith. Works, they do things because they trust God and they believe God's called them to it. They believe God is leading or nudging them to do that. And when we have a, a work, something we do because we believe God led us to do it and we do it trusting in God with a heart to please God, that does please Him. Doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful it is. Doesn't matter how many pats on the back you get. If you do something because you think God called you to or because God commands you to in his word and your heart is you're leaning on God, you're trusting that he's gonna bless somebody through this work, that's pleasing to God. Even if it's kind of a small thing. We know one lady in the Bible who did a small thing, and she, well, it wasn't really a small thing. It looks small from the outside. Luke chapter 21, the first four verses, and the New International Version says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. It's always kind of been a little bit unnerving to me that Jesus watched them give their offerings. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be a little unnerving if we, uh, if we took an offering tonight or, or we took our offering in the morning and uh, we said, all right, today, instead, and I've, we've done this once or twice before, today, instead of passing the plate, the plates are going to be here on the table. And we're going to start here. We're all going to file by. We're going to give our offerings. And Jesus would in here like this. <laughs> be a little, I'd fold my check. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little bit odd. But Jesus was watching and he says he saw a, and he watched the rich put their gifts in. Impressive, probably, gifts, right? Verse 2, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, hers was a work of faith. She, if she gives all she has, then she's trusting God to take care of her, right? She must have felt led to do that. She must have felt inspired to do that. Why would you give all you have away when you've got to eat this week? You've got to take care of yourself this week. And what he's saying here is not that you have to give everything that you have. You'd have a hard time, all of us would, making a living this week, feeding our families, right? He's saying, this lady, from the outside, it looks like a really small thing, but it was a big thing to her. And your work of faith, depending on where you're at in your Christian life, to somebody else, it might look like a small thing, but if it's something God inspired you to do, God encouraged you to do, you feel a nudging, a prompting from God, then it pleases God. And that's the joy is. The joy can never be in the, quote, success of what you do. Somebody responded well. They pat you on the back. They put on Facebook. They so-and-so ministered to them today. You know, it's not anything about that. It's about pleasing God. Now, genuine faith, one thing that Paul is making a point here is that genuine faith leads to works. They have a faith, a works of faith. And when we have genuine faith, it changes our life. James would be proud of these guys, wouldn't he? We did a whole a couple of months on James and he talked about what? Genuine faith, the theme of the book of James. And so Paul and James are, are together on this. And, and what happened in Thessalonians, we're going to look through this, is their lives were transformed because they believed in Jesus. 
Jesus. Wasn't just because of a religious organization, but because they believed in Christ. It wasn't because just of Paul. He was only there a short time. They continue to grow after Paul leaves. Now, we can do works for a lot of reasons, right? We can do works to make a living. We can do works to impress somebody else. We can do works because we think it's our duty. We can do works and, uh, because we're afraid we might be punished if we don't. But these guys here are doing works of faith. Here, here it is. For God and with God. Now, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to do that. Marriage is a great opportunity for you to do works of faith. In your marriage, there are times when you're going to feel uh, very uh, romantically connected to your spouse and things are going to go great and y'all just love sitting around looking into each other's eyes and having great talks and enjoying each other. And yet, and, yet, and probably hasn't happened to you, but people in other churches I've heard this happens to, that they get on the outs with each other a little bit. And one of the spouses had a hard week and they've irritated the other spouse and the other spouse feels like they're not really putting their all into the marriage. And, and so it's easy for both spouses. To, like I said, I know, this, I know this sounds odd to you. You've never seen anything like this before in your life. But it's tempting for both spouses to sort of pull away. Well, when he or she starts putting their full heart into this, I'll start putting my full heart into this. But a work of faith says, God's called me to this. God's called me to love this person. God's called me to serve this person. God's called me to show a Christ-like love, a Christ-like respect for this person. And even if they don't come around next week, even if I uh, do my kind of works of faith this week and they don't really respond very well, you still do it out of faith in Christ to please God. First of all, well, they don't deserve it. No, they don't. And that's the whole point of a work of faith. Christ died for us when none of us deserved it, right? And that's the, that's the example of love he gives when he talks about the home in Ephesians chapter 5. It sometimes blows my mind, and when I get a little bit prideful, and I think, well, man, you're serving somebody. They don't even act like they appreciate it. And then Jesus died for people who won't even give him the time of day. And he knew it. He knew it, and he died for them, which part of that is me. <laughs> part of my life, Jesus had died for me, shed blood for me, and I didn't even want to think about it. Did my, I could sit in church as a 15-year-old being under conviction of sin and do my very best not to hear what was going on. Do my very best to try to block it out because if I didn't block it out, there was conviction in my heart that I needed to get saved and get my heart right with Jesus. See, a work of faith has always got to be not on what somebody else does, but on how we respond to Christ. The jail ministry has been a real work of faith here, isn't it? I know the first time Miss Maxine went to the jail from Hopewell, it was a real step of faith for her. First time Robert went was a real step of faith. Almost everybody that's gone to the jail, it starts as a work of faith. We believe God wants us. We're not, we don't feel prepared for it. We don't feel qualified. You know, we, we, we haven't been to jail, most of us, for 30 years, and so we don't have a background in jail to try to do this. But we feel like that God wants us to. God wants us to share the message of Christ. And so it's not about us. It's about us making ourselves useful to God, hopefully trusting that God will do something with it. When I think about Jan Gager, I think about works of faith. 
I think about Jan taking care of people in our community because she felt like God wanted to, her to help with a family or two. And out of that, she felt like God led her to nursing school. So she just stepped through that door. It was a work of faith for her to go to nursing school. And then she becomes the abstinence director for Save a Life. And then she becomes the lady who does the sonograms at Save a Life. And when we had mission trips here uh, at Hopewell, uh, a lot of folks would pray, God, if you want me to go, make it very, very clear. And Jan would pray, Lord, if you don't want me to go, make it very, very clear. Because I'm going because your word says to go. And to watch Jan uh, just blossom into this beautiful follower of Christ, it all started with her just taking a step of faith, taking a step of faith. And almost every time she would say something like, I don't feel qualified to do this, but I feel like God wants me to. Teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, going on mission trips. And a lot of these things are works of faith. I know in my early life when I first started trying to, to be useful to God in ministry was when I, when I was in college and uh, they asked me to share a testimony, they asked me to do some teaching, group teaching and teaching in small groups and things like that. And it was very much a work of faith, very much of I don't feel qualified. Most of these people that they had me talking to have been Christians longer than I have and knew more, about, knew more about Scripture than I did, longer history with church than I did. I mean, they, they just seemed to have more going, but I was asked I prayed about it, felt like God wanted me to, and so it was a work of faith. Holt coming here uh, to be youth pastor here. Once he came and looked at us, that had to be a work of faith, right? <laughs> he had never been a youth pastor before. Didn't know what was going on. I mean, he told us, I, you know, somebody asked him one time, you know, what's your, you know, what's your plan to raise, you know, to grow the attendance in the youth groups? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have one. And uh, because, but he felt like God called him here. And so it's a work of faith to say, I believe God wants me to go. I'm trusting God that he will show me why. I'm trusting God that he will be the one to provide for what my needs are. Many of you read about the death or heard about the death of Alexei Navalny this week, one of the most famous anti-Putin dissidents in the entire world. Uh, I'd heard about it as well. Did not realize that, um, that he was a Christian. Uh, read about it in Christianity Today. There was a, uh, a journalist there that had got a hold of some uh, a trial mans manuscripts, that, uh, uh, trial transcripts uh, that was made of some of his trials. He was, of course, poisoned back in 2020, uh, had to be you know, taken out of the country or snuck out of the country, and they recovered from that, felt led to go back uh, into Russia. And, of course, he's not one of the only, he's not the only uh, anti-Putin dissident that suddenly appeared dead, you know, and so he knew kind of what he was getting to when he went back. But in February uh, 20 or 21, uh, they found a trial transcript that said something along these lines. They said, he, his words in court was, I was once quite a militant atheist, immediately acknowledged him, but now I am a believer in Jesus. And he said, now here's a guy who obviously ended up dead, right? Here's a guy who had a a hard life in a lot of ways, chose a hard life because he was, you know, was anti-Putin and that's not a good thing to be in Russia. And he said, by following the book, he said, I found the book, he's talking about the Bible, he said, it greatly simplifies my life. Didn't say it made it easier. He said, it simplifies my life. He said, there are fewer dilemmas because in this book, it more or less pretty clearly tells me what action to take. Not, not easier, 
I'm not easier, not, but simpler. It solves some dilemmas. I follow what God wants me to say. We're still not really sure where he gave his life to Christ at. Uh, the best guess was after he, po- after he was poisoned, he was taken out of the country. There were some Christian communities that reached out to him. A lot of people feel like that's probably uh, when he came uh, to faith in Christ. But he said that he was specifically motivated by the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And even as a dissident, a lot of people in the dissident community that he's a part of were militant atheists, very difficult for him. And yet, a work of faith says, I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Secondly, is a labor of love. Not only does Paul thank God that the Thessalonians had a work of faith in a place that wasn't easy, okay? I mean, they're in a difficult position because it was at Thessalonica as Paul was only there a short time. They ran him out of town. He goes to Berea. The people of Berea, they actually responded pretty well to the gospel. They're very interested. They're digging into scriptures. And the folks at Thessalonica weren't content to run Paul out of Thessalonica. They go to Berea and run him out of there. I mean, it's like, stay in your own place. <laughs> stay in your own hometown, right? And so this is a difficult place. It's a place that's hard to be a Christian, and yet they had works of faith and they had labors of love. Love for God that leads to a love for each other. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 again. We remember before God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by Love. Interesting here, the word is agape. You've heard of that word before. Uh, most of you have. The word agape is a word for God kind of love. Interestingly enough, in the ancient world, that word was not used very much until the Christians took it up. Uh, because who, nobody has that kind of love. Agape is a God kind of love. God loves not because he finds something so attractive in us or something that draws him to us. God loves because it's his nature to love. His love is generated of himself, not in the object that he loves. Hard, I mean, in the ancient world, who loves that way, right? And so that's why the word was not used. I mean, we hear it some, but this is not the word that was commonly used. God loves not because we're worthy, but because he's that kind of God. He is love. That's what he does. That's who he is. And so when we get transformed by God, we surrender our life to Christ. What does he do? As we make these works of faith and we start following Jesus, it changes our heart. And we start to labor in love. Love for Jesus means Calvary, doesn't it? Calvary for everybody that will turn to him. Oswald Chambers wrote it this way. When we realize that Jesus Christ has served us to the end of our meanness, to the full extent of our meanness, to the full extent of our selfishness and sin, nothing we meet with from others can exhaust our determination to serve men for his sake. What does it start with? With our realization of God's love, that he's loved us to the full. He's loved us to the end. To, with all the selfishness, all the sin, doesn't deter his love. And then Oswald says, and nothing we meet with others can exhaust our determination. I want to say, whoa, time out to Oswald. <laughs> I feel like he got close a couple of times. <laughs> it seems like that's, that's a difficult thing. But, but it's because God's love continues to motivate us because God love stays with us in the middle of all of that. I talked about a while ago how our works of faith oftentimes turn into a labor of love. 
I talked about in my college days, starting to teach Bible studies and speaking to groups of people about Christ. Uh, when I first started, that was very much a work of faith. Scared to death, not sure what's going to happen, not, you know, voice quivering, knees knocking, all that kind of stuff. But the more I did it, the more I began to love the people I was with. The more I began to love the people that I was teaching, and the more I began love studying the Word. The more I began to, to love teaching God's Word. And it's not a love like I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> it's not a love like, you know, I love getting away with Laura for the weekend. It's a labor. Labor's hard, right? Labor's work. And so a labor of love is not like, oh, I just sit back. I just love everything about this. No, there's always going to be something hard. There's always going to be something difficult. Always going to be something discouraging. Uh, but it's a labor of love. Love prompts you to exceed all the bad stuff or the difficult stuff that comes with it. The jail ministry is a good illustration of that. For Robert and many others, it starts out as a work of faith. And I know Robert's told me, man, it was scary going in there. He sings a song, then he starts leading music. And then within a year or so, the ladies are coming in. He's standing at the door and they're all giving him a big hug as they come in. And he just falls in love. With what, and that happens for so many times. It might be working in the nursery. It might be working with children. It might be serving on the social committee. And it starts out as a work of faith. It may be singing a special, giving a one-word testimony. It starts out as a work of faith. But as you get more and more involved, you begin to what? Love the people. Love what God's put in your heart to do. Hopefully that's, how, that's happening for Holt as we grow to love him. He's growing not just to be a work of faith, but also a love for the people that he's serving. I heard about a guy who had lunch with his son. His son was like in kindergarten. And he went to a school, this particular school, when it was your birthday, uh, you got a special lunch. You could invite one of your parents to come have lunch with you. And you could invite uh, two of the kids to sit with you at your table to share your birthday lunch with you. They're kind of special friends, you know. And so his dad went and uh, he had his two buddies there. And his dad knew one of the buddies, but he didn't know the other one. And so he asked his son, he's like, well, I know that guy. And this was, you know, where the kids couldn't hear him. He's like, he's like so I knew that one guy, you know, whatever his name was. He said, I didn't know that, that, that other guy. I didn't know he was your friend. Why did you invite him? He said, well, Dad, nobody's ever invited him to be a part of their birthday lunch before, so I decided I would. And his comment was, my kid's so much better than me. <laughs> Isn't that a great expression of a labor of love? I heard about a guy who was traveling, and he stayed, this is years and years ago, he stayed at a kind of a poor family's house and uh, had to stay there two or three days. And while he was there, that a young lady uh, in her late teens, and uh, she was sewing. And... Uh, and she just sewed every spare minute she was sewing. And the guy noticed that, boy, she just really loved to sew. And finally one day, he, he finally asked her, he's like, man, you really love to sew, don't you? I mean, you, you're sewing every spare minute. It's like you're sewing. She's like, it's not that I love to sew. It's that I'm sewing my wedding dress. It's a labor of love that she was doing it for. Last of all, so there's those works of faith, there's a labor of love, and there's steadfastness in hope. Steadfastness by hope. I usually alliterate our outlines, you know, it's just kind of fun, it's an easy way to remember. Uh, these, these just fell out so easily right there in the text, I decided not to do it, but um, just, just for your own information, I could have. <laughs> I could have done fruitful faith, laborious love, and heavenly hope. 
just for fun, just thought I'd throw that out there in case you were wondering why I didn't alliterate. You know, it just seemed like it was better just to use the biblical word. So Paul says he's encouraged by their steadfastness. Their, the hope, hope here is an, in, it's an enduring hope. It's something that you can't put your hands on it, but it's a certainty. Hope in the Bible is not a wish. It's a certainty, but you can't put your hands on it yet. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 again. We remember before God, uh, our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope says, because of what I got to look forward to is so good, I'm going to stay at my works of faith, and I'm going to stay at my labor of love, and I will not quit. I read about a, uh, I love Peanuts, uh, Charlie Brown, you know. Uh, how many of y'all love Charlie Brown cartoons? The rest of you, I'll pray for your salvation. Um, I love Charlie Brown cartoons. And one day, Linus and Lucy were watching TV. And Lucy said to Linus, why don't you go get me a glass of water? And Linus said, why should you do that? You don't ever do anything for me. She said, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. And he got up, headed to the refrigerator. And he said, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. <laughs> and we have something to look forward to. You're going to get a lot in First and Second Thessalonians about the return of Jesus. That Christ is coming back. And there's some confusion. And Paul will work that out with them a little bit. But it's a, it's a willingness to stay, hey, what's coming, what's coming to me, whether I die or whether Jesus comes back, is way better than anything else this world offers. And Jesus has done for me and has bought for me something way better than anything else I can imagine. Because of that, I will not quit. If somebody hurts my feelings, it does not change the love of God. If I don't get my way, it does not change the love of God. If my life circumstances are hard, it does not change the love of God. If people that I admire quit on Jesus or seemingly quit on Jesus, that does not change what God did in my life. Our, our inspiration and our determination comes internally from the love of God, not outside. Christians should be internally motivated. You shouldn't, I shouldn't, you shouldn't have to have somebody pat you on the back every other week to keep you going. Now, those are nice, right? It's nice to be encouraged. That's what we're talking about here. We remember before God. He's, what's he doing? He's encouraging them. He's patting them on the back. Not bad things. But when you don't get it and you thought you would, you got to go back to the love of God. One guy said it's really like spiritual tenacity. Spiritual tenacity, he defines that, is, is endurance combined with absolute certainty. What we're looking for is going to happen. And I love the way he says that. He says, tenacity is the supreme effort of a man or woman refusing to believe that his hero is going to be conquered. That's why you stay at it, because Jesus will not be conquered. No matter what it looks like or how bad you feel, Jesus wins. He wins. And so we have that hope that what we're hoping for is actually going to be better than we ever imagined or dreamed of. So Philippians 1, 1, 6, even in our own life, the hope of our own life, even when we get discouraged with ourselves, we have hope in Christ because what? Being confident of this very thing. He, Jesus, who has begun a good work in you, will do what? He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Interesting this week. 
You know, I'm talking about this tonight, about remembering people who have encouraged us, people who have inspired us, people that we thank God for their life and that we, uh, in turn, want to share that with somebody else. Uh, one of those people for me, and, uh, and I didn't know him personally, and it's, this will be somebody familiar to you, many of you as well, is Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby wrote Experiencing God. Um, I've heard Henry speak several times, and there was just a sense of God's presence about him, about the things he wrote. There was, it just seemed like a special anointing on the things that he wrote. And I was talking to David Franklin one time. David preached our revival here this last year. I was talking to David one time, and uh, he was actually discipled by Henry. Henry took an interest in David's life and had discipled David some. And he was talking about Henry was going to speak at a certain church, and people were saying, man, it's going to be packed out. And David's like, no, nah, not really. He said, Henry speaks with a depth and a challenge. This is not all that entertaining to a lot of people. If you go hear Henry preach, uh, you need to be ready to repent. <laughs> be ready to adjust your life uh, to God and what God is doing. And uh, Henry's son, Richard, uh, posted on Facebook this last week, or posted on social media, that Henry uh, had passed away and that he is truly now experiencing God. And I told Laura as we were getting ready tonight, we were talking about, uh, our, my, I think it was last night, we were talking about to ask her if she knew that Henry had passed away and she would not heard it. I said, yeah, Richard said he is truly experiencing God. And I said, you know, in a relationship that is real and personal. <laughs> right? What Henry always said, a love relationship that is real and personal. And you and I get that as well because of what Jesus has done for us. So what? Thank God for the people who've helped us along this way. And let's be the kind of church that helps people along this way. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, thanking God for those who had works of faith, labors of love, and endured by hope. And that hope that is a certain hope in Jesus and what he's going to do when he comes back. And so, Father, I bow before you tonight. Lord, recognizing that everything we do here, if it's not a work of faith or a labor of love inspired by hope, that certainty in you, we'll probably end up being wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, Father, we want to follow your lead. We want to love you and love others, to help each other along the way of being Christ-like, along the way of pleasing you and not being caught up in what the world thinks is successful or prestigious are necessarily noteworthy. Uh, God, to live for you. And so, Father, I pray tonight as we have our time of commitment, as we have a time of silence to think about what you're saying to us, I pray that you speak in each one of our hearts that which you most want us to take away uh, from this service this evening. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, Lisa, play softly tonight. Would you just ask the Lord what he wants you, how he wants you to experience him, how he wants you to relate to him and maybe there's somebody you just want to thank God for tonight just say God thank you for that person that meant so much to me and helped me so much in my walk with you maybe you want to come kneel at the altar and say Lord I want to be a person that pleases you and helps others along this journey to be Christ like along this journey of pleasing you in a world that so many other things live for help us Lord to keep that soul focus pleasing 
So you pray. The altar is open. You want me to pray with you? I'll be glad to pray with you. There's a public decision you need to make. I'd be glad to, to, to share with you in that. So you respond to Jesus as Lisa plays.